There's a book on David's shelves called How to Cheat on the Bar Exam. So <laughs> I think I think someone should get to the bottom of that one. He still is a screaming child just in that, the background. I mean, that really adds to the ambiance. I, I don't know how you guys do. Oh, by the way, um, this is Harry. Hello and welcome to the MGO Fish Podcast. I'm your host, David Arnold. At least I'm normally your host. If you can't tell from the opening... Uh, I had some issues with, with the kids tonight, so I could not really get the host in the full capacity as I would normally like to, uh, but instead you'll be graced by the dulcet tones of both Harry Hillman and Stephen Ostentoski. Stephen, who's joining us uh, for tonight's podcast, even though he took a big job with Maze and Brew, he's their video guy now, uh, so go check out his videos because he's always been the best, whether it's been with Mgo Fish or with Maze and Brew. So with that, guys, have fun podcast. Go blue. This is Harry with um, Esteban Asantoski. Uh I don't know how you guys do it over at Maze and Brew, but over here we've got that real hearty basement in your mom's house, screaming kids in the background type of vibe at MGO Fish. And it's the ambiance that has gained us probably millions upon millions of readers every day. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah. We don't we don't have the screaming children. Um, you know, I just I, my voice brings uh, a couple viewers here and there. Maybe I need to add the babies in the background to bring the bring the listeners in. I don't know. I think you guys are onto something. Yeah, it's it's um people can really relate to the fact that I hate my life as much as they hate their life. So I think it really helps us connect from a um. Uh, you know, talent, um, audience standpoint. Sure. Right? As, sure. Uh, the, the guy, they, they pay the big bucks to, uh, do everything. I have to entertain. <laughs> that's it, man. That's, that's, that's what you're here for. So Harry, you're, you, this is like the most enthusiastic I've ever heard you in, in pitching a podcast. Get it off your chest. What, what are you even, you came screaming to me that you figured out Don Brown's defense. You figured out, it's like you had an epiphany or something. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, um, so I was, um, I don't know if the people at home would be able to notice it all, but, uh, I am diagnosed ADD and sometimes, uh, you know, I have too much confidence and I am, uh, subjective to thinking very highly of myself. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes I have trouble focusing, but, you know, with the Adderall, uh, I focused. So I was in a gas station bathroom just thinking, and I'm like, I had an epiphany. And the great thinkers of our times, you know, the, the Socrates, the um, the um, Dioceses, and the Pythagoras, you know, the sure. great thinkers, um, they often – brought their greatest inventions back to alone time in the porcelain chamber. Okay. And, sure. you know, um, I owe it all to them. <laughs> all right. All right. So you set the stage. What was, while, while you're in the gas station, while you're choking on coffee, what's the, what is the epiphany that you came to? What, what was, what, what was brought to your mind from, the divines that you uh, felt so compelled to share with us. Yeah. So it, it just got me thinking and I was um, just chatting with, with Garrett a little bit. And I, I, I do a lot of 
uh, research in it because I think we can see a lot of um, trends in how coaches choose to recruit, develop, and deploy talent over however many years it comes to playing style and all of that. And <coughs> I was thinking it, it's very similar to me of, and it kind of came to me with all the, the news and the hubbub <coughs> of Sammy Faustin uh, being moved to corner, uh, Vincent Gray being the number one guy, uh, Gemon or Gemon green. Um, mm-hmm. One of the green brothers. Yep. As the the sort of third corner, and then Andre Selden as kind of like the the slot nickel guy, and outside of Selden, uh, who, who's more of a dynamic uh, middle of the field corner than the other guys, those are some really big physical corners with a lot of length. I think they're all at least six two, mm-hmm. probably all above one ninety five, and. Really, when you look at what kind of defense you, you can run with tall, physical, grabby, run-supporting corners, it really could bring shades of what Jim Harbaugh did in Stanford in, in 2007-2008. Uh, he moved a six foot three wide receiver to corner uh, that year. Stanford went to the Orange Bowl and Richard Sherman became a six round pick for the Seahawks. Um, and that's how he did it. The other corner opposite Sherman was recruited as a running back wide receiver. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not, and they played a very similar scheme as, as I think Don Brown is looking to do because what a cover three really allows you to do is take away the deep thirds, force the ball out quickly and force the action to be choosing the guy towards the sidelines, more NFL caliber throws. And there really aren't a ton of college quarterbacks on the schedule that I would say probably are going to be able to do that. Yeah. That's just my opinion in terms of, I think Michigan's going to use a defense that they can scheme around the limitations of their corners. They don't have guys that can go one-on-one man coverage with, NFL caliber receivers consistently and and expect good things to happen, but they do have some very defined strengths. They do have length. They will be able to leverage the sidelines well. So they're not going to be as big of a uh, liability on 50, 50 balls because of that length. And if Michigan's able to effectively bring pressure out of zone blitzes, which I think they will because Brian Jean Marie and Bob Shoup are both, zone blitz background type of guys, then if they can force the ball out in two, three seconds, they're able to use that length and that athletic ability and the physicality of the corners Mm -hmm. to allow the safeties to make the plays. That's true. Corners are going to be able to tackle. mm -hmm. And when you have to, I mean, I'll, I'll, you can call Brad Hawkins a veteran safety at this point. You can't call Daxton Hill, but he's just an athletic freak who runs a 4-3 flat 40 and has a 40-inch vertical, something close to that yeah. at least. So, like, having those two safeties, a guy who 
Brad Hawkins has the defense hopefully downloaded by now. He showed a lot. He showed really well in 2019. And then you have an athlete like Daxon Hill. Like you said, they're like the last combination of safeties Michigan's had that probably could compare would be 2016 where you had, what was that? Delano Hill, DeMonte Thomas back there. That's probably like, I I think think we're also, and sorry to cut you off on that. We're also going to see a very similar utilization of the Viper role in that mm-hmm. scenario where uh, Jabril Peppers is more of a walk-up linebacker, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. I think Michael Barrett can cover. I think he'll be fine, but I think he's going to be playing a lot more in the box mm-hmm. because it's going to allow him to use his speed and athleticism to make some of those plays in the flat areas and on the outs that if I if Michigan does what I think they're gearing up to do. Yeah. And I think I think that Michael Barrett will be used more of a linebacker um, just because I think the linebacker depth is pretty short at this point, too. So he's probably one of the guys who would fill in at either the Mike or the Will in a pinch if there's an injury or COVID, whatever it may be, because you also have Anthony Solomon there that they're comfortable with at Viper. So I think that makes did sense. He, did he did I have a fever dream or did like Solomon get like a serious like promotion recently is he like getting was i imagining it or is he like in serious contention for starting so he was pushing there was there was a bit i don't remember what the timeline was but he was like pushing barrett at the viper position where there was talk of like barrett potentially not starting because solomon was coming on so strong Mm -hmm. um so i think it's more of like he could be starting if barrett wasn't there and barrett is more moonlighting as a backup Mike and Will and he's just he's good enough to see the field in a starting position so I think that makes sense I think I think I think you're right that like and I thought about the cornerback position a lot because it's been I mean we've talked about it a ton um and there's just been a ton of talk overall about it when has Zordich like not come through at that position right I feel like it's always the safe it's always the safeties that have caught a lot of flack because Michigan safeties are expected to do a whole lot but in terms of the corners I mean Michigan's obviously had a ton of talent mainly out of uh, the Midwest and the Lover Hill Amory Thomas of the world Jordan Lewis but then you also had like David Long was a really good guy I, I just can't think of the last like bad Michigan corner and even guys like Vincent Gray sure he's maybe not the best athlete but he's despite being like a 700 overall guy in the 2018 class he had some like late legit offers more in line with a four-star to like Oregon and I think UCLA crystal ball they're maybe committed to I think West Virginia yeah I think so and so he was like getting legitimate like mid to high tier power five attention. And so I don't think it's that big of a stretch that high three, low four star caliber offer guys can develop into quality to near honorable mention, big 10 play position. Again, I don't think that it's going to be some position of strength. I'm not, completely diluted and I'm not drinking that much of the Michigan Kool-Aid, but I do think that the limitations are significant enough on the corners that it forces you to work towards their strength and moving Sammy Faust in a big physical guy 
is moving towards the strength of getting more size, getting more length out there and getting more physical. I think we're going to see a lot of um, screenshots and gifts from opposing teams saying like, where's the interference here? Or like, where's the call? Uh, Because I think Michigan's, um, I think their secondary is going to get really grabby. And I I don't think it's necessarily a bad option because they can't call everything. And if you're getting after the quarterback enough, then you're going to get the ball out quick enough that they're not going to be able to really notice significant contact past five yards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I I think, yeah, I just, I, I think, Zordich is clearly a coach's coach. He's not a recruiting coach. And it shows in a lot of like interviews that recruits have had with him. So I don't know, man, like there's just been too much production out of that position. And there's never been a case where I've been like, wow, we're not getting it done at the cornerback position. It's just been locked down. And maybe that's why like, if, if there's a question mark, I feel like we've never really had a question mark in the past five years of who's going to be the next corner like we do right now. But, I mean, the guys, it's not like we're turning towards a true freshman right now. As much as I like Andre Selden to be like a nickel corner or even on the outside right now, Vincent Gray got a lot of time last year. I mean, I agree with, like, the inexperience of the other spot. But, I mean, DJ Turner was a guy that was getting a ton of hype going into the 2019 season. Um, I mean, Jimmy Green was always kind of a, a project that you were looking for. Um, like he had the measurables and athleticism really to make it work. It was just the mental aspect of the game. So the guys were also with him. There is also the, um, it was also sort of a package deal with his brother who had the mm-hmm. knee injury. I mean, they were still, I think, projected to go to Texas A&M. So again, mm-hmm. these aren't guys that they're stealing from like, Bowling Green or even uh, Syracuse, they're getting guys late in the cycle from uh, Texas A&M's, West Virginia's, uh, and the Greens, they targeted pretty early. Something that that actually made me a little lower on Vincent Gray, even though he's worked out incredibly well, is that they came in really late for him, and that's sort of a sign of like, oh, shit, we just got to get somebody. And I should have put more faith in – Anyone from Rochester. Yeah. Uh, so I should have had more faith in my hometown brothers. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but my, my biggest concern actually on the defense is um, defensive tackle. I think it's easily far and away the most concerned I've been over any particular position since probably left tackle after Grant Newsom blew out his knee. Mm-hmm. Well, but last year – I mean, they're, we're returning every single person, everybody outside of Dwum Four from last year, right? And I mean, he got a lot of snaps, and he was not good. Yeah, but but like, I guess the confusion there is like, why would he leave? That that's the thing where he was set to have a lot of snaps this year, and I'm not saying that Michigan like pushed him out because I don't think they really did that, but. They they feel like they, or at least I feel like they have to expect something out of Hudson, where I know last year it was like Hudson's coming on, and this year he's getting even a little bit more, where it seems like Don Brown is even a little bit more um, effusive. Donovan Jeter. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, you, I, you said Hudson. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I first I was just, I, I do agree that yeah James Hudson was gonna be like a big piece there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, I wasn't sure. And then you're like, like, is he talking about Khalid? Okay. Yeah, cool. no, sorry, wrong, wrong name I had there. But, but James so that. Yeah. So, so I guess that's my point where it's like you would expect someone like Dwumfor who had a ton of snaps, who would, who's probably going to do pretty well. I would expect for Rutgers. I mean, it's Rutgers. So I guess I would expect him to improve enough to see meaningful time. Maybe he was starting to see that Hinton was coming on that, um, you know, other guys at the position were, were coming into their own. Um, It's just strange to me that, that he would transfer in that situation, you know, with that depth chart. I, I think it's the best situation for him because I actually think Michigan's more moving more to a three-man front where they're going to have their nose really more of a um, solid run threat. And Dwum for he's a he's a pretty decent pass rusher. I think he can be a good three-tech for Rutgers. Mm-hmm. But he is a liability in the interior, like in the extreme interior run game against great teams. I mean – there, there's no shame in saying that like a guy is pretty good against the Northwesterns and the Rutgers and the Maryland's of the world. Just not someone you can start against Wyatt Davis, uh, Harry Miller, and uh, Jonah Jackson in uh, against. And it wasn't Harry Miller at center. Whoever they're Wyatt Davis, shit, Josh Myers, Josh Myers, mm. and. Um, those are three really, really high-quality interior linemen, yeah. and especially against Wisconsin as well with Biotish. That's where Michigan has to bring a lot more guys up into the box to take care of that gap penetration. Yeah. And if you can't protect the A-gaps, then you can't deploy the more athletic Josh Uche types on the edge because you have to devote an extra body on the interior. A yeah. lot of people have been saying, like, oh, Don Brown's an idiot. Josh Uche only got 60% of the snaps, but it's like clearly Josh Uche's good at everything. The problem was the position he plays was the sort of the, the hybrid walk-up extra defensive rusher, and that's a position they can't really use as well if they can't protect – the both interior a gaps, which Dwumfor couldn't, and so sure. they'd have to devote a middle linebacker there. And if you don't devote the middle linebacker there, they're just going to hand the ball off and run for 250 yards. Right. I mean, that's how you end up in scenarios like Jordan Glasgow in the B gap against Wisconsin because they don't have good enough protection in the a gaps. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think if if Michigan gets all conference caliber play out of their defensive tackle position, then I think they're going to go undefeated. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. That's that's big. That's a, that's a big if. And if the Joe Milton hype is real, Mm -hmm. because everything sort of fits into place for this defense. If they get, and I'm not saying they have to get an all conference performer there. If you can get all conference production out of maybe 50% of the snaps to Carlo Kemp, 20% of the snaps to Mozzie Smith, 20% of the snaps to Chris Hinton, and maybe a scattered 10% to Jeff Spate, then that's going to be good enough. I mean, they have bullets in the chamber, but none of them are consistent. None of them are proven. 
And part of it is sometimes with big defensive linemen like Mozzie Smith, sometimes it just takes a while for them to come on. Yeah. And that's sort of the issue with recruiting big dudes, especially big dudes in high school. A lot of them don't have like the motors to go as hard as you need to play to play three downs, drive after drive, like in Big Ten football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough. Yeah, and, and and I think last year you saw it the most where the 2017 class was supposed to be a lot of those guys that were at least coming on, right? You had Aubrey Solomon, who you think about last year, he was a five-star top 25 guy. He would have been there to really mm-hmm. fill yep. that gap that you had Ben Mason in, like you said. Um, yeah. I mean, think about him. I'm going to list off other guys in the 2017 class that simply – Corey Malone Hatcher, uh, Dave Hudson, uh, Deron Dave Irving Hudson, Bay, Nash name, um, Deron Irving Bay. Yeah, Deron Irving Bay. All guys that I think Raymond Hall, they, who they could have been like Tyler Friday um, the following year. Uh, Phil Paella had yeah. to flip back and forth, so he was never really able to get situated. Yeah. They missed on some pretty big targets. They wanted Devontae Dobbs to play there. He didn't mm-hmm. want to. Um, that kind of killed their shot with him, I think. Yeah, And so it's so, just they've yeah. been trying to do it. And I think the 2018 class is sort of what solidified their idea of like, hey, we got to go a little bit more for not even necessarily character, because I don't want to say a lot of the guys that kind of flubbed out of 2016, 2017 did so because they they had like poor character or there was something wrong with them. But guys that you can build into defensive tackles that'll be there and you know they'll be there when they're juniors and seniors and guys that might not um, be too scared off if they have to sit for a year to a year and a half Mm -hmm. before they can really see the field. Because you can't, if you're relying on defensive tackles that are freshmen to come in and plug and play them, you're already in a really bad spot because there aren't many that can do that. Yeah. And, and I mean, and those that can certainly aren't within a thousand miles of Ann Arbor. Yeah. And, and you mentioned like 2016 class, that was an eighth overall class. 2017 was top five nationally. And, and that 2017 especially was a really defensive line heavy class. So how are you going to get a, a, you know, first of all, the numbers don't make yes. sense to grab a large number of 2018 defensive line guys. It just doesn't make sense. And like you said, the guys that you are going to pull are those guys that you can pitch that what we have good development. Listen, we see you as a guy for this role. It's going to take a bit to get there. But by this time, you are the guy in this class to fill out two, three years down the line, and this is going to be your role. And that's exactly what Julius Welshoff is out of Germany. That's exactly what uh, Taylor Upshaw, despite being a legacy, he only started playing when he was 15, 16 years old. So, like, that's why we have such little depth there. It's, it's you know, I, I think you're right. There was definitely a, a shift in the 2018 class where you just have lower numbers. But the entire class was more developmentally, like, more focused on those sort of guys because of the makeup of the 2016, 2017 class. And I know you you were crazy about the 2018 class, and we talked about that a lot. All of these guys are hitting, which is, yeah. I think, what we saw continue into the 2019 class, where you see a lot of guys that are lower ranked that are also on a pretty decent path. 
And I mean, the 2020 class as well, I think there's there's a fair number of guys that maybe aren't ranked as high, but are truly hitting the, the top end of what what anyone could expect them to be. So I think the 2018 class set that foundation of guys that have bought into what Michigan is pitching. And I think they really did their homework for that class because outside of two guys who were the number three and four highest ranked in Mustafa Muhammad and Miles Sims, those guys are no longer with the program. Outside of those guys, the only person not in a place to contribute, I would say, is probably German Green. And that was a guy, like you said, kind of a package deal with his brother. He had an injury. And he had a brutal knee injury. Yeah. Like that was, it wasn't like just a torn ACL. I think he like blew out his knee. And he's mm-hmm. someone that I still think can contribute. I think you can contribute as a tough, smart box safety with a bum knee. I don't think you can contribute with a bum knee at cornerback. Yeah. So I, I think there is still plenty of time for him. Uh, and at the very worst, if he's just a really quality special teams option, that's still a hit in my mind. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm honestly going to go through the rest of the guys from the bottom up, and yeah. and just to go through this class, Jay- real quick. The the issue with Michigan was never that they can't coach guys. Mm-hmm. It's that sometimes they lose a lot of guys. So if you have to, you know, maybe err on the side of the potential a little bit, or maybe err on the side of immediate contribution and instead play for what they're going to look like as juniors rather than sophomores, then I think you can build a really, really good program as long as you're getting a little bit to enough of the high-end elite talent that that they're sort of getting. Like the the Dax Hill types, the the Aiden Hutchinson types, the Cam McGrone types, the Braden McGregor, t- as long as you're getting enough of those guys, and I think they are, like, everyone in the class, like, you were saying, yeah, let's just, you go bottom up. Yeah. Yes. And and to me, what exactly what you're describing is what I call, like, the Clemson factor, where all these guys are breaking out who have been there for a long time. You'll, you'll get the occasional five-star who just shines out, but the class is built on really solid quarterback development and, and really good receivers. Yeah. And the wide receivers and the rest is just really solid guys who've been in the program for a long time and understand that it's going to take a couple of years for them to break out. Starting at the bottom, Jake Moody kicker, who's competing with, he's a guy competing with, uh, Quinn Nordine. Yeah. And any, has any shown off really well. I just automatically caught like a one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ronnie Bell yeah, was like, yeah, and Ronnie Bell. That got yeah. The scholarship later. Right. Yeah. Ronnie Bell is the lowest member of that class. Obviously, number one wide receiver. Yep. Home run. German Green. We mentioned him with the uh, injury there and still still on the team and a depth player at this point. So two one count on German Green. Two one Mm -hmm. count can go either way. Mm -hmm. And then you have Hazan Haskins, who has showed out way bigger than his ranking. He's like just within the top 1000. He's already by far outperformed that ranking. Just real quick, cursory, both Bell and Haskins, I think, were unrated on 247 when they committed to Michigan. I think that really just says a lot about how you should react to really low, unscouted commits when they commit to Michigan. Because I think there's a really high chance. Hell, Iabi Anoma was unranked when Michigan found him at a uh, camp that year. He was the number three player in the country before he flunked out of Alabama, Colorado, yep. and uh, Houston. Yep. 
Yeah, those guys, to me, if they're unranked, Ronnie Bell still astounds me. He was the first guy I covered in my recruit review back when I was doing that, and it just blows me away that he – Kansas City Player of the Year that didn't get any looks from any program. Yeah, it's insane to that's, me. that's how I felt when I, with Jeff Percy, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, how the hell like is no one noticing this? That's, yeah. that's kind of what made me – think of recruiting rankings is nothing more than like, yeah, they're very accurate, but I think they're very accurate because they sort of follow in lockstep with coaches more often than like, I mean, they're still very accurate, but yeah, I mean, it's, and, yeah. yeah. Then you have, I don't think there's a big difference between being number four and being number eight. Yeah. I'm with big you. difference between being one and being five, sure. four and eight, as long as you're in that, like, Top 10 to 12, I think you're good. Right. Yep. Okay. After Haskins, we have Luke Schoonmaker. Schoonmaker? Schoonmaker. Um, I'm, I'm high on him. I'm really yeah. high on him. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think, he's, I think he's another guy, quarterback in high school, convert to tight end. This is always the plan. It was always going to be a two to three year. And by all accounts, he's hit every benchmark. And this yeah. is something to mention. I have a Joe Milton thing coming out soon. Mm. It's like, yeah, we're expecting him to take a, a big leap, but none of it's like the progression has been gradual and expected for what we thought he was coming out of yeah. high school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's on a good path now. He's like, I think, probably going to be, I mean, he's obviously behind Eubanks, who's definitely panned out as well. Um, but kind of like the Eubanks mold, where just a wiry kind of guy that needs to grow into the position, I think I, you could I see. I think they're both behind Eric All. I really I mean. Eric All is a different weapon. Him, he's a I different weapon altogether. I think he's going to, I don't want to say be a first-round pick just because of positional value, but I think he's going to develop into someone that's like a first or second-day NFL draft pick because he can do a lot, and I think he's going to catch it. Like, I'm giddy about Eric All. Yeah. I think he's going to catch a lot of touchdowns in single coverage on linebackers because of all of Michigan's speed. I, I think, think it's yeah. going to be fun to be Eric off. He's going to be ready for this, Steve. Mm-hmm. He's going to get for all of the touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that was man. bad. That was that, not good. That's one that I wasn't even setting up for until oh, I started to again. No, it's okay. He's going to be a guy where he's going to get the opposite uh, Uche effect, in my opinion, yeah. where like the offensive Uche effect, where it's going to be like, why aren't we throwing to him all the time? Where he's going to be a, a thing where Michigan will increase the packages to get him on the field as the yeah. year progresses, I think. And he's someone that I think, and that's a really great call on your part. He's not someone that I think you can use as an inline tight end if you have trouble running the football already. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. think you can use him there. If you're confident you can run the he, – because he's not, like, a bad blocker. He's just – like He's, he's just not sizable the, in that way. He, he doesn't have the size, and his role is a little bit more of the um, – having him in there helps us lighten the box type yeah. of mold, which mm-hmm. is still very valuable. But those guys, like, again, if they have trouble running the football, then it might be tougher to get him out there because I think they're going to need – to be able to run the football well to give Joe Milton a soft enough uh, pocket. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this year will be like uh, a year where he kind of breaks out. And then next year, if he bulks up a bit, or maybe if he like really establishes his role, they could better 
game plan. Like I said, I think they'll build more packages for him as the year goes on to fit his skill set. And then who knows if he, you know, hits, adds another 20 pounds, he can be more functional as an inline guy. But I agree. Really excited for him. Um, okay. Next guy on the list, Michael Barrett. Again, a guy where he was a quarterback out of high school, ranked 750th overall, a middle of the road three star. And, uh, you know, he was listed as an athlete, but he's fit to start at Viper this year. So again, and that's also, even if he doesn't do anything else, his contribution in the army game last year on the fake punt should, huge. should make this a hit alone. Like he legitimately turned the tide in that game with the fake punt and with his versatility. So I don't really care like what anyone has to say. If that's the, if you get one win out of the 751st ranked player and he helps contribute a little bit more, like I'm fine with that. Everything yeah. else of that house money. I'm good with Michael Barrett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, and I think he's another guy who's going to surprise some people. I think there's a lot of people that have been expecting it out of him because he was getting pretty good talk the past couple of years. I feel like the coaches have been confident in him, but uh, I think he's going to show out this year. And again, having it, like, he hasn't been talked about a whole lot because it feels like there's a comfortability there that like, he doesn't have to be talked about as like, Oh, he's going to be, it's like, he's been in the wings waiting for, for his start behind some NFL guys. And now is his time. Yeah. So, and it, if he, and if he wasn't good in practice, they would have been like feverishly trying to get someone in that spot ahead of him. So I think mm-hmm. there is at the bare minimum, some like an extreme level of competency where you can expect from Michael Barrett. Yeah. Is he going to be a star? I don't know. Do they need him to be a star? Maybe not. Um, but they definitely need him to be serviceable enough mm-hmm. uh, um, to be boring. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, next on the list, Vincent Gray. Again, you get a starting cornerback in, what is this? This is only, he was a true freshman last year, right? Or no, 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 no. Redshirt, redshirt freshman. Uh, right? No, I don't think, wait, maybe? No, no, no this is going to be their junior year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is, again, a, a guy who is ranked seven. 700th overall him hitting you know being the true number one guy like it's it's not even a question at this point and he did sort of separate himself from everyone else in the class by the end of that freshman year yeah so it's not even like it came from nowhere it was always like oh this guy is playing really well like he was getting some snaps like he he definitely stood out from the rest of the class well enough that it's like, okay, like getting good production out of him is something that I don't think is a reach. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. I'm starting from the bottom up and we're six and one with German green being like a a special teams guy or, you know, something that's still developing Um, to have all of these guys either starting or on a path to start, like you could say Schoonmaker is on a path to a really good path there. But all these other guys have either gotten meaningful playing time or are stars in the case of Ronnie Bell and I would say Haskins. Um, and even Gray, you could say, is is a developing, um, competent starter. I'd, and that's, I'd call him a, a good player right now. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you can get two good corners, then yeah, roll yeah, with it. Yeah, right. 
Um, next on the list, Welshoff, who's getting talked up a bit now. Where again, he's a guy from Germany, the the mogul skier competitor in yeah. Germany. He's six six. He's he's up to like a, I think around two hundred and eighty something now. And Don Brown's talking about not losing any athleticism on his end. Again, a guy ranked just within the top seven hundred. And um, I mean, again, that, we've been talking about how that's always the path for these guys and. He seems to be at least on a good path. The thing, the thing is, like he, he's getting the right talk. If you don't hear his yeah. name, then that's that's when you start to think like, okay, like the experiment's over. It's not working out. Where like for him, it's like this might not be the year, but next year, like watch out, you know. And that's like always been a the path for him. So I'm excited about him. With him, I think my opinion on him differs a little bit depending on where they see him. Cause I can, I can see a very reasonable um, plan to keep bulking him up and move him inside. But if they want that athleticism out of the defensive end positions, there aren't a ton of snaps to be had over Quiddy pie and Aiden Hutchinson. So yeah, no. it, it is sort of that, that path thing. If, if they are trying to get him snaps at defensive tackle and he's not good enough to get snaps now, I'll, I'm a I'm a two out of ten on the concern scale. If he's doesn't get a ton of snaps at defensive end, and that's where they want him, I'm a one point one out of ten. On yeah. 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 I I think he's going to be a, a good three tech. I think if he can hold two hundred ninety pounds functionally at six six, it, it all just depends on his technique. Because if if you're not serviceable against the run as a three tech, then you're just not going to see a whole lot of time. So I I think it just I don't. I don't know how much three tech Michigan's going to continue to use. Honestly, yeah, that's I, fair. I think the future. I think they're going to go to more of a, a three-three stack with that third uh, linebacker being the the Uche hybrid player in the mm. walk-up defensive end role. That sort of brings it more into one of Gary Patterson's four-two-five looks. Mm. It's something that Alabama experimented a lot about when they shifted from the. Um, three, four, and more of the four, two that outside mm-hmm. linebackers usually a stand up. So it's something that I think they're going to be able to use. And then against running teams, you're able to easily switch out the Viper Michael Barrett for, and the, talk about segues here, Steve. Yeah. For the Sam, they're going to use Ben Van Sumer. There you go. Right? Yeah. That that would be a, a role that I think would fit him well against teams like Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern, where you know you're going to get the power rushing. You know you're going to get a lot of H-back, fullback action. So to be able to roll over a Sam and take out your Viper, your third safety for more of the third or as the fourth defensive end, basically, or defensive lineman. Mm-hmm and utilize him as the blitzer, I think that makes a lot of sense for sort of a, a kind of, if he gets 15 to 20% of the snaps, I think that's probably what you're looking at with him. But yeah. He's something that you're going to deploy against teams that are going to try and establish it inside. And I also think he's someone you're going to uh, use a lot against Ohio State when they're trying to like establish the run early because they sure. do that a lot. They like, yeah, they get a lot of passing yards, but a lot of that comes after, you have to overcommit to stop J.K. Dobbins from getting right. eight yards to carry. Yeah, that that game is always like, did they get seven yards on first down 
it's going to be a first down. <laughs> like that's just always how I feel against yeah, teams like that I mean, where they establish run and then they open things up on second and three and they just exactly kill. like we saw. I mean, not to segue this to the NFL, but do you see what Mike Vrabel did? Oh yeah, like that was brilliant. For those that don't know, he intentionally had the Titans in a second and one situation on defense. Or on defense left intentionally had a 12 men on the field penalty. So that way uh, Houston would get the automatic first down. They'd be able to save clock and start over because second and one, I mean, if they get one yard running the football, like they're going to get 40 extra seconds and yeah. no coach can expect your guys to keep other highly talented players out of the end zone when you're one yard away. Old. Yeah. No, so it's like just, just shit like that where it's, like brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, that was that was an amazing play. He's he's one of like my favorite head coaches just by bringing that sort of game theory into the, the NFL. It was fun. That was fun. Um, podcast, I'll, I'll talk about why I've always thought he was going to be the best former Belichick guy. But another another fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ben Van Sumeren, um, he was a guy who, who moonlighted at, at fullback and found his way into the Sam position, and it seems like he's he's going to get some run there, the first Sam. Um, so, uh, again, a guy outside of the top 500 at 624 overall, that's a guy that'll get some run this year. And that's, to me, like if he shows out a little bit or just some production there, I think he has even potential to switch back next year to fullback if he really wants to. But if he shows out enough at Sam, I think there's there's enough work there kind of in the, uh, you know, we saw with Furbush last year, we didn't really have as much of a presence there, but, um, but again, he's been getting talked up and I would say that's a, another hit, a tentative hit, but I think he's, he's already established himself on, on special teams and in some fullback sets to, to say that's, that's pretty solid from 624 yeah. overall guy. He's a, he was a guy that was recruited mainly as a fullback. And mm-hmm. Michigan goes away from the fullback. So even if I'm even fine calling him a like a miss so far, but he's got the potential to be a hit, and that's not yeah. a miss that I blame on the coaches for going after guys that fit the offense. Yeah. He's just a casualty of what happens when you do switch offenses. And, right. And sometimes the sort of churning of the roster that that you have to do in terms of finding positions for for him, finding positions for a guy like I mean, Hassan Haskins got moved to linebacker for a bit mm-hmm. and sort of bear it, and so you just have to play around a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, ben Van Sumeren sucks that, like, his position was taken away, but he's making the best of it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then moving into kind of the first safety off the bench, Sammy Faustin, uh, a guy who is listed as a cornerback, but I think the plan was was kind of as – I think we'll he's get- starting, dude. I think he's the starter. Oh, at, at, at yeah, safety? Yeah, no, I think he's the second starter. At safety? No, at corner. No. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be Jamin Green. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's Sammy Faustin. No. No, they're going to they're gonna keep him. He's going to be a guy that they bring in. Uh, if Steve, I, No, Sammy <laughs> Faustin already got moved to corner. No, he didn't. He got moved a week ago. Yes, Are you? He did. No. Yes, he no. did. Yeah, look it up. I'll show you. He's literally. Send me the article right now. There's a Detroit Free Press story called Sammy Faustin once a safety jumps into starting quarterback battle. By um, Ryan Sang. Literally, um, right. October 15th. No, he's a corner. Like, You're right. Like, that's 
what I'm saying. Like when they moved him to corner, that's when I started getting excited because he brings some of those safety skills. And I think they're going to really utilize the physicality of him and of Vincent Gret. Sammy Faustin's going to get a lot of run at corner. That's fair. I, okay. I'm still high on Jimmy Green. So me, me, I, too. me too. I think this is more of a, a thing that Faustin's going to be really good. than Green is going to be bad. Yeah, I think they'll, I, I think they'll be serviceable. They're going to make mistakes this year. I think they are. I think consistency yeah, I mean, is the concern here. Yeah, mistakes are going to happen, but I think at the same time, if you're able to limit the mistakes enough yeah. that your high-powered offense can score 40 points a game, yeah. that's a win. If you're able to at least – if their mistakes are simply they let guys get too many – um, 10 to 12 yard out routes on them. That's a win. As long as they're stopping the big stuff deep down along the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. If most of their mistakes are pass interference calls. I'm so okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I'm with you. So yeah, I, I can't believe I missed that, that news. Cause I know they were trying out Dax and then Dax was like, no, I kind of want to stay in the middle. Yeah. And, I, and I agree. But then, yeah, I think, that that's probably when they were like, all right, we'll get Sammy over there. That's fair. I think that's when they decided they're like, our guys are pretty solid, but we got too many good safeties. We can just shift this into grabby grabby. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. The Legion of, um, you know, you know, we can call the Michigan secondary if they break out. What's that? Because of, um, Okay, okay, this might be my masterpiece. Oh, no. This might be my masterpiece. Oh, I'm already hating it. Because, let's just say they're a really, like, aggressive, hard-hitting team. You know, sort of like the the Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom. Sure. You know, because of how much we were quarantined, we could call them the Legion of Zoom. Oh, no. (laughs) Dude, this was worse than Dave's uh, racist rant at the beginning. That was... uh... That's still, don't. This, <laughs> we're too this, far this removed from joking be, about about David's yeah, non-existent yeah, yeah, yeah. rant. We, we were kidding, folks. That <laughs> David Arnold. Yeah, that's we're kidding. But um, but yeah, no, I think that that joke and all of the touchdowns might be what gets this. I don't even want to say podcast. I would say gets the internet just shut down. <laughs> I hope so. It's more, it's, that was more, what I just said was more toxic than anything I've seen in weeks. And it's election season. That's true. That's true. All right. Next guy, Taylor Upshaw. Again, guy that Don Brown's been praising his butt, strangely enough, saying that he finally has a butt on him. You get guys like, you'd be shocked. Like, I coach defensive line. Like, yeah, like when your guy has like a, like a butt, like, that's good. Like, Oh yeah. Like, like when I see some of our guys, like when they're squatting, and I'm like, "No, you got a strong base." I'm like, "I want to. We're gonna play around with you." Right. Can we? Can we cut that last minute? Can we just? That sounded like. I I really. Whatever, <laughs> Keep it in. Whatever at the fifty mark, everything after the butt mark. I don't want to. Nope. Keep it in there. <laughs> okay. Fine. Keep it in. Uh, it just sounded weird. It sounded but, uh, weird. Upshaw, he's gaining weight in the right places. Yeah, like, he's exactly. He's another guy like Welshoff. This is the year, I think, that they have to make, like, a run up the depth chart, maybe to right behind, like, 
serious snap category, but you got to make the coaches feel good about where you'll be after another few months of development. And this delayed start, really the the extra lifting and practice that Michigan got in, mm-hmm. can help Upshaw and Welshoff more so than most other players because the extra three to five pounds they can add, the extra 100 to 120 reps they can get, everything there matters. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, him to me is more of a likely hit than – Welshoff, because I, I think they're both excellent athletes, but yeah, I think I Upshaw think has NFL pedigree. Yeah, NFL pedigree. His brother, like Morris, are very similar to me. Mm, fair, yeah, that's a good comparison. His his brother is actually a Clemson walk-on, who's actually and Jenkins. What's that? And Chris Jenkins. Now that I'm. Oh yeah, yeah, fair they, enough. They get smaller defensive linemen with uh with room to grow and NFL pedigree. Yeah, and they. I, I'm I'm excited about all three of those guys. Yeah, I mean Reagan Upshaw Jr., the walk-on linebacker brother of Taylor Upshaw, he's getting playing time, and he's like a a 5'11 linebacker, and he already has like a few sacks, tackles for loss in a couple games. So like, he, I'm sure Taylor was wor- working with him in the off season. Again, the NFL pre- pedigree. There's just too many signs for me to not be comfortable expecting him to, okay, to break so he, out this year. He's Reagan Upshaw's son. I, I was thinking for some reason I, I had the name Courtney Upshaw in my head. Mm-mm. No, Reagan Upshaw. There is a Courtney Upshaw, right? I, I think that sounds familiar. I don't know who Courtney that is. Upshaw. Just look this up real quick. Uh, yeah, former American football defense. Oh, second round pick out of Alabama in 2012. Uh, okay. Got it. Okay, Soon. so yeah, so Okay. I, I knew I wasn't crazy with Corey. Yeah, different Upshaw. All right, next guy, Christian Turner. This is a guy. I think who that's a miss. You could call a miss, but I, I'm, I'm not. I'd call him for right now. I he's someone that I think is on his way out. That's fair. I think a couple factors. He showed some trouble with um, with fumbling the ball. Like he, he was getting some run and he put the ball on the ground. That's a big no no. And then he opted out this year initially in a year that I feel like he really just couldn't afford to do so just because I yeah. feel like it's, it's, I mean, it's Michigan's deepest position right now. It if he sticks like one of those, I'm yeah. opting out because I don't think I'm going to get the playing time I want. Mm-hmm. So, and because he came back after the NCAA said that eligibility would just stay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, not that, not that you can't have viable health concerns and say, is this something I really want to spend a valuable season of eligibility sure. on? But something where it's, okay, it's a little bit safer now. I don't have to use that season of eligibility. I'll come back. I think he's someone that is probably, through maybe no fault of his own, probably on his way out because yeah. Chris Evans returns this year. That was certainly wasn't something that Michigan was long-term planning on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corum looks to be good. Charbonnet's a stud and Haskins broke out. So it's yeah. when you have trouble holding on to the football, sometimes it gets you in the doghouse. And if other guys yeah. step up again, sometimes you just get dealt the bad hand. Yeah. I, I think if given the opportunity 
I think he could improve upon some of his early downfalls. I think I, I agree with everything you said where I, I think he'll likely move on just because of how the depth chart is, has mm-hmm. shaken out. And I would expect him to be a hit elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I think he'll be like a good, like if he were to pop up at like a Maryland or a Minnesota mm-hmm. or an Illinois, like it's like, again, w- with him, it was, yeah, the fumbles. Uh, he was never a bad running back. He was good enough to get some clock early, but the guys that, that really came on after him really mm-hmm. clogged up the spots and it's, he's not bad enough to like not be able to put on the field. He's just not as good to warrant taking snaps away from the guys that I think are clearly better than him. Sure. Yep. And that's just an unfortunate spot that he's in. But I mean, not a bad running back, just someone that I don't mm-hmm. think is a hit for Michigan. Fair. Yep. All right, moving on, Jamin Green. I feel like we've talked enough about Jamin Green, but I think he's a tentative hit, yeah. adding 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 depth to the cornerback. We just haven't seen enough, but he was always a guy, high-level athleticism, a lot of length at position, just something that took a bit of time. Yeah, let's um, talk about the home runs, the three home runs coming right up. Yeah, I mean, the back three to – three fucking nukes. <laughs> the back-to-back Woo! tackles, Ryan Hayes. Jalen Mayfield, I mean, both of those guys are Mayfield, obviously looking to be an early uh, draft pick. I think that's a little premature, um, but like he he's on he's on a path. Like I think he's going to show out this year. Um, notably, both both these guys. If, uh, if he left now, he could be a first rounder pretty easily. I mean, the the frame, the the way he he performed against Chase Young, I, it's all there. It's all the there. NFL I think, because of the new CBA rules. They are pivoting more towards linemen and not like a, a super hard pivot, but towards linemen from more NFL ready programs. Notre Dame has a lot of guys mm-hmm. taking early with a lot of success. I mean, Michigan already. Mike and Lenu has been great. Cesar Ruiz has been very good in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So I think that alone, if you, Ed Warner has put lots of guys in the NFL with a lot of success. I think yeah. that right there will raise a guy's draft stock in terms of we know this guy's going to be able to play football because yeah. he's shown a lot of it. Right. And, I mean, Ryan Hayes is a guy because they're putting Jalen Mayfield at the right tackle position, so they're comfortable enough with Ryan Hayes at left tackle. Um, I mean, he got some spot snaps last year and did admirably. He did just fine. So expecting yeah. him to kind of if, – if, you know, if Mayfield's the surefire number one guy moving forward, you'd expect Hayes to kind of have the season that Mayfield had last year, yeah, where I, I think Hayes just had more development to go compared to Mayfield. He, he came in 25 pounds lighter, and I think yeah. he spent his first season with the program at tight end while he was yeah. working the way up. Mm-hmm. I think Mayfield, yeah, he's the right tackle, but I view him as the right tackle in the same um, vein as I view Tristan Wirfs as being Iowa's right tackle, and then mm-hmm. the athleticism and the production are absolutely there. But they came on and they saw the field at right tackle uh, early on when there was slightly more limited but NFL caliber left tackles like John yeah. Runyon, uh, what six round pick? You're not you're not moving John Runyon over when you know Jalen Mayfield can play right tackle and John Runyon can play left tackle. Just like Iowa's not moving a less athletic Alaric Jackson to right sure. tackle because they know he can play left and Tristan Wirfs can play right. So especially now in the NFL, I don't think Mayfield's designation as a right tackle really really hurts it at all yeah. uh, or signifies anything more than he's a stud, and I think Hayes is about to be a stud. Yeah, 
Yeah. So those are two giant hits. Um, Joe Milton, we're, we're now here. We're at the top five of, of Michigan's class. Um, I mean, you've heard all of the hype. I mean, I think it gets blown out of proportion, but I think people need to take it with his skill set is that of an elite guy, a guy who can run in, in the like four seven range at six, five and a half. And, and he's up close to like 245 pounds. That's just, with a rocket arm, that's a skill set that is like if you can put any quarterback mind into that body, you, you have an all-star at any level. Yes, and that's the that's the potential that everyone's talking about because the skills are there for the making of an all-American quarterback. It's just a matter and of he's this like this con- like just from what I know like. From what everyone has said, he just has this confidence and this attitude of someone that you want leading like the offense. Yeah, everything's great, but I think Don Brown called him a dude. Like mm-hmm. Don, I don't think he ever called Shea Patterson a dude. Yeah, and if he did, he was lying. Yeah, I think the thing I like most about when I hear Joe Milton is how much work he was putting in the film room. So like everything that I've seen read heard about him is he didn't leave any page unturned yeah where i i feel like with shea patterson he was very gifted but you didn't get that sense you felt like there was some frustration and even from the backups where it was like like we're putting in more work why aren't we getting the time like there was a lot of question marks there where it seems like there's no question marks about the amount of effort joe milton is to be a leader and to improve upon the aspects Mm -hmm. that was you know, maybe the things he had to improve upon the most, which is being the mental aspects, learning yeah. the game, learning the playbook. Absolutely. And sort of going off of that, um, again, none of the, the leaps that they've been projecting out of him have, have come out of left field. I mean, yeah. his freshman year, the the thing was, hey, this kid looked awesome early, but now that, like, once we threw the full playbook at him and threw him in the deep end, he's really struggling to catch up mm-hmm. because he's yeah. a freshman. But this kid's really special, and then it's he's getting snaps in the Wisconsin game, and then he has a conversation with Gaddison Harbaugh, and he considers transferring and sticks it out. Year later, he's the quarterback. So it's hard for me to believe that this wasn't the plan all along, yeah. and that he was really only behind Dylan McCaffrey because they wanted to keep the depth just in case, because mm-hmm. Milton won this competition so quick that it had to be coming. Yeah. Like McCaffrey left so quickly that he had to know that there wasn't a ton of chance of him winning back the job. Yeah. It, it was very odd to me. McCaffrey's transfer just because it's like a free year. It kind of threw me off. But um, I mean, the thing I love to see the most is unprompted Milton going to Don Brown to ask about like coverages. So it's not just yeah. that, that he's doing things that like you would expect a quarterback to be doing like being in the film room a lot. He's asking like the wealth of knowledge around him. He's seeking out ways beyond what's even expected of him. And I think that's where, even if he's like, you know, I don't expect him to live up to everyone's expectations, but I'm going to expect him to be at the ceiling that he'll ever be at. And that's, that's enough for me where like, if you are at, your exact ceiling. I feel like he's going to find that whatever it may be, whatever the limitations are. And 
I mean, that's as much as you can ask for. A guy who sticks around in the program and realizes that ceiling gets there as much as he can. So that's exciting. I was just doing some searching. Apparently, he and Cade McNamara both attended the 2019 commander camp in San Diego, Mm. um, developing leadership with the SEALs, fighter pilots, Marines, and sailors. Interesting. So, And that was 2019. So both Shea Patterson and Dylan McCaffrey, neither of them were there. Joe Milton, he was there. Cade McNamara, guy getting a lot of pen. Yeah. And he also tweeted, he also tweeted, I'll give him a ton of credit for this, tweeted free James Hudson after all the James Hudson thing came out. So it's like, Good, good on him. Yeah. Good on, like, I, I am so all in on Joe Milton. It's, it's not even funny. I, I mean, I think we could see three, maybe four first round picks out of this recruiting class alone. That's insane. I don't, I'm not going that far. I don't, I don't think you're crazy. I think there's already, I think there's already one. And then I think there's another two that are extremely likely. And then I think there's two more that I, I'll take one of them. Yeah, that's true. I, I think two, I think two is a safe bet. I think four is the absolute ceiling. I'll, I'll give you that. If, if it's four, Milton's gotta be one of them. Oh, I agree. I yeah. agree. That, that's your, that's your Mayfield, number four. Mayfield's gonna be a first rounder. Mm-hmm. That, unless he gets hurt or falls off a ledge. Hayes, I think, has a really strong shot if he has a good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, not this year, but like yeah, down a couple the road. Of years. Yep. I think, McGrone and Hutchinson, I think one of those two will be. I think those yeah. are both studs. Yep. And we'll we'll skip past three and four um, on this. Miles Sims and Muhammad, these are the only two guys uh, that transferred out relatively early or never really got meaningful playing time. Um, so we don't have to talk about them. But obviously those are two misses. And then you have Cam McGrone, obviously stud linebacker that um, – you know, I think made some mistakes last year, but his athleticism is just off the charts. I mean, he he was close to the top 100 recruit for a reason. So rivals. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a guy who's gonna come out in a big big way and uh, true leader of the defense as well. So I think he's a surefire uh, guy for the NFL next year. Um, he just has the athleticism at the linebacker position, and he's he's yeah. Pretty, four first round picks is probably a pretty lofty one. That's pretty lofty. I could I, lofty. I could see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna scale that down to three. I'm yeah. scaling it to three. Yeah. I, I'm betting on one of McGrone, Hayes, and uh, Hutchinson being a first rounder. Yeah. I, I think, think that's Milton, a- Milton, and Mayfield, I think, are almost penciled in as first rounders. And if Joe Milton's not a first rounder, Michigan's losing way too many games for me to give a shit. <laughs> Fair enough. And then Aiden Hutchinson will round off this top ranked guy of Michigan's class. Um, just true stud. He's going to be, you know, he's pushing all conference. He, he'll, he'll push all American at, at this year. I think um, he's refined his body this year. Actually lost a little bit of weight, but he's a little bit more chiseled. So, um, so we'll see, man. I, I think, I think, I think you're right. Hutchinson has first or second round potential. If he shows out this year, can establish a bit more of a pass rush. He could really, really be a, a first or second defensive end off the board. But, but we'll see. I mean, and just counting the numbers, that's like 15 guys who are hits. Yeah. And, and this is a developmental class following two really good classes. And you have 15 of 20 
most of which are three-star guys. Only only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the 20 were four stars. Um, the rest are three stars, and most of those three stars have hit. It was two yeah. of the top-ranked guys in Muhammad and Miles Sims, both top 200 guys that transferred out of the program. Almost everyone else has been a hit, mm-hmm. and that, that hit rate is just indicative of – and it's going to be this year that a lot of them are – hitting and I think that just speaks to kind of the shift in in focus I think Dudek got a lot of flack for this class that's gonna like like I feel like he should be subtweeting a bunch of guys this year yeah he he's earned his paycheck and then some with this class just seriously and that right there is how my wonderful co-host decided to end the podcast for me to edit and record um so with that, guys, it's been the MGO Fish Podcast. And we got to teach these guys how to finish pot, I think. So until next time, I'm David Arnold. They're Harry Hillman and Steven Ostentoski. So with that, go blue. Go get them this weekend. Yeah, I mean, everything is uh, – I mean, I'm down 45 pounds, Steve. i got to be promoting myself. Oh, there you go. I got, I, Put I, that I, on your profile. I, I mean, I it's in there. <laughs>